vocals one more time. Come and behold. Come and behold him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God. Lord, you are deserving. You are set apart. You are magnificent. We bring you honor. We bring you praise. And Lord, as we open your precious scriptures now, we speak to us, grow our faith, teach us to be more like you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You folks may have a seat. Testing one, two. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to Sierra Bible Church. Come on in. There are seats in the very front row. No one likes to sit there. I do not know why. But there are seats here in the front row. If you are in junior high this morning, there is no junior high this morning. So please come in and take a seat next to your family. Uh, As a reminder, we do not have junior high service when we have communion. And we have communion typically the first Sunday of the month. That is today. Welcome again. My name is Amy, if I didn't say that. I didn't yet. All right. My name is Amy. Let me just let me just calm down here for a second. Okay. So, I have a few things to share with you this morning and then we're going to get going. We have a lot a lot of activity this morning including continuing in the book of Mark as well as communion as you can see on my right and my left. If you are new, you can raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. If you are new, we have a gift for you, and you can collect that gift at the info booth on your way out. It's a, a, a scripture journal for the Book of Mark, as well as a coupon for Drink Coffee, Do Stuff, which is our local coffee shop here in Truckee. And so make sure you grab a hold of that. If you are new and want to know information about the church, we have an app, we have these lovely slides, we have a website, and we have a cart in the seat pocket in front of you, um, and you, can, you are free to take that as well. There's so many people back there. Hi. Hi, guys. (laughs) All right. So those are up for all the the new people. Um, What's happening today is our ministry fair. And so if you missed it, it was was between first and second service, but it's also after this service. So you did not miss it. We have snacks. We have goodies. We have the the fair to introduce uh, ministries to you, the leadership to those ministries. And if you are not plugged in, if you've been wondering where you might fit as far as volunteering, um, there... You, you can head over there. So after second service, please head over there, and we will be there for a little while after, after this service so you can partake in the ministry fair. Another thing happening this Saturday, we uh, spoke on it a couple weeks ago. A gentleman was up here from Teen Challenge, and he shared his testimony with you. We are having, we're hosting their graduation. I haven't had a graduation in a couple of years. Uh, Pastor Jesse is going to be the main speaker, and uh, it's a, you know, it's, Usually you attend a graduation because you know someone graduating. This is a little bit different. We want to support that, that program. It's also, I think, um, just it's great hearing. The, it'll be great hearing the men's testimonies um, as they've gone through that program. So that is this Saturday. As well as in a couple of weeks, we have a women's hiking, hiking trip. Okay? So the women's ministry has put together some fun summer activities for you women. 
that include the outdoors. And so they're coming up all throughout the summer, but the first one is in about a week and a half, and you can contact Carol Anderson, you can sign up at the info booth and get for information about the summer hikes. And they're all local. Uh, I think they all include a little bit of uh, snacks and, and potluck after, after the hike as well. Is there something else? Yes, that's right. Okay, so those are just the things happening in the next week and a half. What's happening in July is our vacation Bible school. And so that is in July. That is for ages 3 to 12. Um, and you can sign up online as well through our app. Uh, we are looking for volunteers. And so if you have volunteered in the past, great. And you want to sign up again, you can do that. If you want to try something new and uh, be in charge of these little ones, then we would love you to be there. We do need a head teacher for pre-K. These are tiny, itty-bitty children that are barely potty trained. But they are supposed to be potty trained. So if that's you and your heart's being like, wow, that is definitely me, then please talk to Brad and he will get you plugged into Vacation Bible School. All right, I think that, well, no, no, there's one more thing. I promise, Doug. Okay. All right, so uh, I just want to do a quick plug for an event that's happening actually in August. Um, it is called Equip America. It is an evangelism training. And we'll talk more about it and there's registration and all this stuff. But I want to just, I want to put it out there. I want to get it in your minds. It's in August. Um, it's a part, Jesse's going to talk more about it. But I want you to be in prayer for that because part of that evangelism training is actually going into the community and sharing your faith. And so that's hard for a lot of us, I think. Um, and so I do want you to be in prayer for that event coming up in July. Oh, August, August. Okay, here's Pastor Jesse. Well, good morning. Oh, come on now. Good morning. morning. It is so good to have all of you here. As Amy mentioned, my name is Jesse. I'm part of a, a great team here. Amy's obviously a, a wonderful blessing for us. She's just has done an incredible job. She was out of breath because she's doing multiple things this morning with the ministry fair announcements, and she's just been great. Um, I, I want to just express uh, some gratitude towards you for, um, you guys are just really incredible. Deeply appreciate all of you and uh, just your heart to be here. And thank you for putting up with all of the crazy parking and, uh, and all of that. Thank you for uh, still coming, regardless of the fact that it, it's a little bit hard to kind of get here. In fact, all the ch church gurus that we've ever had come to our church has said, your church isn't going to keep growing if you don't change your foyer and if you don't get a bigger parking lot. And we just say, Jesus doesn't care about that. And, and neither do you, apparently. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, would you raise your hand? Turn to the book of Mark. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, this has been a fun book for me to be personally in, uh, studying for each message each week. It's uh, a book that takes me back a little bit to my childhood. I've expressed this a little bit in the past, but this book reads a lot like a comic book. So uh, I'm kind of, uh, two things are true of me. There's a, a nerdy part of me, and then there's a jock part of me. I, I love sports and football, and I, I love nerdy things like Star Wars and Marvel comic books. And so when I was a kid, I actually collected comic books, and I have uh, very, some very valuable comic books that I've hidden from my kids that they can't access. Uh, I've got the number one Wolverine comic book that's ever been made. If you know what that is, I know. I know, right, Zach? I know you're so impressed. 
<clears throat> but at any rate, <laughs> maybe that was just because at that age, it just was simpler to read. My very first introduction to the gospel was a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. It was a book actually that was written in the 1970s about a young kind of gang member coming to faith in Jesus. And it had an impact in my life way back when. And this book, if you, especially last week, it's kind of like three by five cards. Every segment, it's like quick hitting little ideas, quick hitting pictures of Jesus, quick hitting pictures of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's doing. And then it flips again to the next scene, to the next scene, to the next scene. Uh, and it moves fast. Uh, you know, if you've been here, that one of the number one words in this book is immediately. And it seems to move from one scene to the next. So it's kind of a book for those of us that have a little bit of ADD and a short attention span. It's a, a great book to get introduced to who Jesus is. And it's a great book to read, period, because it's all about Jesus. And as we enter into chapter four, which is where we are this morning, Jesus is going to give us four parables. There's four parables in this segment that they all kind of deal with one thing. They all deal with what is called the kingdom of God. That is the introduction of the reality that the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of God is going to come in fullness one day. If you know what I mean, you know that right now Jesus wants to bring people into this new kingdom. What we talked about last week, being a part of the family of God. He wants people in relationship with him and a part of the faith family. Uh, and yet we know we still wrestle and travail in this world. And one day, the ultimate kingdom in heaven as Jerusalem comes down and creates a new heaven and a new earth, we will be totally freed from that bondage of sin and addiction and shame and guilt, which many of us know all too much about. <clears throat> now, in this particular uh, book with these four parables, Jesus is going to start sharing this story about a sower who casts seed into, a, into the soil. Uh, most of your uh, Bibles will probably have a little title there that will say the parable of the sower. Uh, some Bible teachers would say actually a better title is the parable of the soils. And I kind of would agree with that. This particular passage has more to do with the soil than the actual, uh, uh, the actual sower. And so I've titled the message this morning just simply, Dirt. You like that one? Short and easy, grabs your attention. So let me ask you this simple question as we begin to dive into the text. What does it take for someone to be introduced into the family of God? What does it take for someone to grow in their faith in the family of God? How does the kingdom of God, the family of God, grow and how is it introduced? Jesus begins to teach this parable to get people to think and to question and to wonder who Jesus is. In fact, up until this point, even in the other Gospels, Jesus has been much more direct with his teaching. Some people like direct teaching, some people don't. But Jesus here begins to shift from a less direct teaching to a more parabolic teaching, which is really common amongst rabbis and Jewish teachers of Jesus' day. A parable was meant to be and is meant to be provocative, surprising, it's to stimulate someone's thinking. Oftentimes it uses everyday common things to teach deep truths. And the reality is with these parables, those who listen the most 
clearly to them or the most closely to them will pick up on their deeper meaning. A good Sunday school definition for parable would simply be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's four here all tying together in one message. With that introduction, uh, if you are new here, one of the things we do as a church is we stand for the reading of Scripture because we believe it's important and it's beautiful and it's God's speech. And so if you have the ability to stand with me this morning, would you do so as you read from chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him. That word very large indicates what is believed to possibly be the largest crowd that has surrounded Jesus up until this point. So he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things, many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed and some seed fell on the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into the good soil, and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, even a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Lord, may we open our hearts to hear from you this morning and from your word. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You can have a seat. I want you to see the introduction of what Jesus states. You can see a very clearly that as Jesus begins his parabolic ministry, his ministry of parables, he starts with two kind of commandments here. The first is in verse 3, simply stated, listen. The second one is in verse 9, the closing of the particular segment I just read. He states, he who has ears, let him hear. Uh, One way to translate this would be simply Jesus saying, listen up, pay attention to what I am about to say. What Jesus is doing in this parabolic ministry that he's beginning, in his teaching, is he's placing a serious responsibility upon the hearers of what he is about to say. Essentially what Jesus is saying is that effective communication makes its demands upon the hearer as well as on the speaker. There's a seriousness to this, a severity to it, if you will. Jesus begins his teaching by simply telling the crowds that if you want to understand what I'm about to say, if you want to get the point of what I'm communicating, then you have a responsibility to tune in to the message I'm about to speak. Another way that this could be translated is Jesus simply saying, I'm about to teach you. Now think this out for yourself if You can. Jesus is clearly speaking about the kingdom of God and its inception. The word kingdom actually in chapter 4 is mentioned several times. And Jesus introduces us to a person of this parable. This first parable of four, it's the longest parable of the four. And in his introduction, he says there is a a gentleman, there's a, a man, there's a farmer, there's a sower. That's the person of the parable. 
What does this sower do? Well, in Jesus' day, again, using parables uh, the way that they did then and the way they're used now, common objects, objects that people would be familiar with, uh, he's using an image that would be really common amongst the day. Farmers and farming, right? There's no Costco. There's, there's no grocery outlet. Thank God for grocery outlet. Seriously. Went to Costco for the first time in a month the other day. Woo-hoo! I'm broke. This particular farmer, as was common, would leave his home in the village and enter into the open country. He would have wrapped amongst himself a a little leather bag filled with either barley or some other kind of grain. He would reach his hand into the bag and he would scatter the seed indiscriminately anywhere and everywhere he possibly could. And it would spread like wildfire. Jesus says that, in fact, if you go to the, one of the other parables in this particular passage, take a look at Mark chapter 4, verse 30. In regards to another particular seed that is cast forth in the kingdom of God, <clears throat> he likens it to a mustard seed. He said this, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, as uh, by way of illustration, I was hoping to ho- uh, get a, a, a mustard seed for you this morning. But the reality of a mustard seed, if you have not seen a mustard seed, is it is embarrassingly small. If I held it in my hands this morning, you would not be able to see it. And Jesus says this particular kingdom of God is so embarrassingly small, it's like a mustard seed. How, however, when it is sown forth by the sower, he goes on and says... This small seed, when it is sown, grows to become larger than all the other garden plants, and it puts out large branches, so large that the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade. And then he began to speak in many parables as they were able to hear it. So Jesus says there's a sower. It's a particular man or individual who walks into the field. He casts it indiscriminately. And the reality, he says, is one casts that seed forth, the seed is going to land in all kinds of different places. And there are literally four that are described in the parable. One is along the path. That is the road that literally ran across or ran along the sides of the field. It would have been downtrodden, beaten down by many individuals who had walked along that path. It would have been hard like concrete. Jesus' words, the seed would be unable to penetrate the ground, and instead of it going into the soil and growing and producing any fruit, self-seeking, devouring birds would take the seed and eat it. The second in verse 5 is the rocky ground. This soil would have had a a nice layer of of healthy soil on top with rock bed near the bottom. The result of this particular kind of soil would be that the seed would quickly germinate. It would sprout forth quickly because the soil would be warm and it would be moist, but because it was not able to penetrate into the rocks, when the sun came, it was unable to hydrate itself and it would be scorched and it would die. Other soil would fall amongst the area of Weeds, it would grow, but the weeds would choke it out. It would kill it. Three soils, the same seed, landing in three places, all ending in destruction. And then Jesus says there's another kind of soil, the good soil. And some seed would fall on this good soil, and it would produce an unheard of number. 
Jesus literally says a hundredfold. To the hearer, they would have thought, okay, what does he mean by this? This is extraordinary. This is abnormal. This isn't something that would typically happen. Surely it would produce fruit, but a hundredfold? That sounds quite amazing. Now, what's really neat about this is Jesus was teaching this. Again, common imagery amongst the people in a, a common day, amongst the maybe simpler kind of lifestyle. The historian Josephus said, of the kind of ground that Jesus was walking on and the kind of ground that still exists, even in Israel today, is very nutritious, very productive. Josephus, the great historian, he said, he said this, of the dirt in Jerusalem, that it was the ambition of nature that it had an ambitiousness to it, that it grew. And still to this day, if you do any study of, of how the Israel people and, and the Jewish people and what they're able to do in their soil, even today is quite incredible. Now, that's the quick introductory teaching and parable. One should be left kind of asking the question, what does Jesus mean by the sower? What does he mean by the seed? And what does he mean by the soil? What do these three pieces mean? Well, Jesus is a great rabbi. He's a great teacher. And any good teacher, when he's teaching his students, knows when the students don't get it. There's a look on their face. I've seen it here on Sundays before. But he knows. So we begin into the schooling of Jesus. Jesus begins to teach. So that is the first picture, right? It's like a comic book. There it is. There's the parable. Then the next picture comes in. The next scene pokes itself into the story. Verse 10. Remember, in the beginning, he was around the crowds. Now he isolates and separates himself again with his disciples alone, it says. And when he was alone with them, with the twelve, they asked him about the parables. They didn't understand. And Jesus said to them, to you has been given the secret, the kingdom of God, but for the outside or the outsiders, everything is in parables. They don't understand it. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Then he says this in verse 13, pay close attention to the words. Remember, he said, listen, if you have ears, hear. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? He sees they're not grasping it. Then he adds to the intensity of the conversation and says, how then will you understand all of the parables? See, now at this point, Jesus has said in several different places in this passage that he has began teaching in many parables. These aren't the only parables he spoke in. There were many of them. And now he's stating to us as the listeners, as the hearers, if you don't get this parable you won't get any of the other parables. We have to understand what he's saying. So Jesus, as he so commonly does, as he so compassionately does, takes his disciples off to the side that he can teach them what he means by the parables. Matthew adds to this story. He says he left the crowds and he went into a house as the disciples asked him to explain the parable to them. So now we get to see the setting. We get to set up the scene of what Jesus is experiencing within this particular place. He has moved from the crowds, pressing in around him to the point of, if you remember last week, he can't even eat. He's so pressed in by the crowds. They want to be entertained by him. They want to see him. They want to hear him. They want to touch him. They want to be healed by him. He, he's amazing, and the people of the day clearly see this. So Jesus has to take these moments 
And he says to the disciples, as he would say to you and I, who have faith in Christ, the mystery of the kingdom has been revealed to you. Now, that word mystery literally means something that was previously hidden that cannot be known apart from divine revelation. What is this mystery? It's Jesus. That Jesus is the person and the word and the work of this kingdom. Or another way to say it, that the kingdom of God is embodied in the person, in the words, and in the work of Jesus. And Jesus is simply stating to his disciples, to them they have been blessed to have this revelation of the gospel and the revelation of Jesus and the revelation of his kingdom family. They now can know this. And my friends, so can you. You can know it now. Some of you do know it. And you were part of it. And you'd want nothing other than this kingdom. Because once you taste this kingdom, there simply is no other kingdom that you want to be a part of. One commentator says of Christ's parables that they serve to veil the truth concerning the kingdom as well as serving the reality to unveil the kingdom. And depending upon the hearer toward him, the attitude of unbelief on part of those without, without rendered them unqualified to understand and receive the revelation the unexplained parables remain to them a veiled mystery. But faith penetrated and still penetrates the veil that grasps the revelation of who Jesus is. This parabolic ministry thus served to reveal the inner heart condition of the hearer. Do you hear what he's saying in this particular quote? Much of understanding the kingdom of God is going to come down to the receptivity of your heart. And yet we know that quite possibly in this room, quite possibly for those who may be watching online, and we know quite possibly in the future, and we definitely know quite possibly in the past, there are people who have hardened their ears to the gospel message of saving grace. This comes from the prophecy of Isaiah 6, 9. Hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus Christ, the prophet said to the people that they will hear but not understand. They will see, but they will not perceive. And that the heart of the people will be dull and their ears heavy and their eyes blind. We're told multiple times in scripture that the world's response to the gospel is a hardened response. And so Jesus takes his, his boys off to the side and begins to educate them on the greater things of God and the greater things of the parable. So he has to explain to them first, who is the sower? You know no name is given, right? Because the sower's name and the sower's identity is not nearly as important as what he casts, the seed. But just so we're clear, the sower is Jesus Christ himself, first and foremost, but it is also every Christian who has proclaimed salvation in Christ. You are the sower. And Jesus is the ultimate sower. One must then ask the question as they were sitting in this room with Jesus, if there is a sower and he's casting seed, well, what in the world is the seed? Well, thank God he answers the question. He says the sower seeds the what? Verse 14, the word. It's the sower's job to cast forth the divine proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see something here. I want you to see, first of all, the sower works. Let, let's take note here. Look at verse 27. 
And this helps us a little bit to understand who we are in Christ and who Jesus is and what he's all about. But it also helps us, again, understand how the kingdom grows. It helps us understand how the kingdom of God grows in your heart. It says, of the particular sower, this farmer, he sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. Let's stop there for a moment. Notice he rises day and night. He's a laborer. He works. And how many of you have worked in the garden or worked in your lawn or worked on a farm? Your hands get dirty. Did you notice that? They get a little calloused. Especially, especially if you work with any kind of fertilizer, it is a stinky job. So the sower is willing to work. But what I love, as I studied this this week, I couldn't help but see the, the grace of God and the peace of how the kingdom grows for the particular sower. Verse 27, he what? Sleeps. He sleeps. The sower has a rest and assurance and things that, that, that some of us don't. I would, I would argue that, that the text could possibly say that the greater you have an understanding of the gospel, the greater night's rest you will have at night. I might argue that, 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 that if you're walking with the Lord in the way that he has intended, at least in faith, in your knowledge of faith, that you will not be restless in your sleep. And I know this knowing the backdrop of our culture is that, well, if we're honest, most of us have anxiety. Most of us have great fear. I'm sure in this room, many of you have allowed your heart to absorb the fear mongering of what our economy may be come fall. More fear, more anxiety, more frustration is for those in the world. But for the sower, he sleeps. What I love about this is that we, we, we are given the reason why he sleeps. Why does he sleep? Because the seed sprouts and grows and he doesn't know how. What does the farmer do? He works, he plants, he digs. Can he make the sun rise? No out of his control. Can, can he cause it to rain? Nope, out of his control. Pastor Wayne's daughter has a farm in Utah. Uh, they've had year after year after drought. There is no sprinkler system. There, there is no rivers running all the way down to where they live so that they can water their, their, their uh, crop. They literally lean on the providence and sovereignty of God to bring the rains down. Right? It's not like Palm Springs. They're stealing our water. And I can't water my lawn, they say. It's ridiculous. So Jesus says that this sower has a trust in the work of God, has a faith in the grace of God, my friends, it, it took me years to get to a particular place to realize and understand that my particular job as a preacher is to cast the word of God forth, to preach it indiscriminately in every corner I possibly can. But it is, jobs God to, it is God's job to bring someone to salvation. It is God's job even in the midst of growth because then we enter into the process not only of salvation and the germination of someone's faith, but also in the sanctification of his life. Jesus answers again not only how the kingdom is sprout forth, but how the kingdom grows. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself blade, ear, full grain in the ear, and then when the grain is ripe, it is brought to harvest. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not sure if you're quite hearing me. 
Salvation comes by grace alone, in Jesus alone, with faith alone. That's it. And your sanctification is not dependent on how much effort you put forth. It's dependent on the one who makes the sun rise and who brings the rains as, as he sees fit. Are you with me, O child of God? Do you not see the love the Father has for you? This is incredibly good news. So the sower sows forth the seed, and now Jesus, starting in verse 15 on, has to describe for us the difference between these soils. And there are four different types. You could say this morning, there are four different listeners here this morning. First, are, this, are those where the seed falls on the hard path. The author McKenna says, the author McKenna says, the characterization as soil repeatedly trampled suggests the hardening of the minds. The hardening of the minds of the constant tramp of lifelong habits. Now I have been doing ministry long enough to know that in this room, some of you, whether in the past or currently have struggled with addiction. This is saying that those who are addicted to even their lifestyle, let alone a substance, can harden the path for the seed of God to penetrate itself into the hard shell of emotional and intellectual defenses. This is the intellectuals in the world who refuse to allow faith to go beyond what they simply can think. It's the beaten path of tradition. This is hard for God to penetrate into the soil of those who are wrapped in their own religious belief system where they live under the law of God and not the grace of God. They have what one author says, gospel deafness. Verse 16, we have the rocky ground. They're shallow in their hearts. They are hasty to respond to the word without really, really counting the cost of following Jesus. And the word is unable to penetrate into their inner life and fasten a, a, fasten a transforming hold unto their nature. The result, again, to quote McKenna, they have a high experience, a high emotional, exhilarating experience with Jesus, but they are intellectually rootless. Can I just share with you the great reality that receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, receiving him in, is a complete act, 100% by faith and faith alone. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to grasp a hold of it. It's all a gift of Christ. However, at the same time, God wants you to go deeper. He wants you to know more of who he is. He wants you to grow in your faith and grow in your relationship and intimacy with God. That does require, that does require of us the faith to open up our Bibles and read about who Jesus is. It does require of us the faith to come to church that God will do a work in our midst. For God does the greatest work in our lives, the greatest transforming work in our lives in community. And I know a lot of us don't like to hear that. Then there's the third group, right? The first group, the intellectuals, the beaten path of tradition. The second group, maybe you could, you could consider those the, the, the crowd seekers. Or, or how about the, the celebrity types? And I remember as a kid being introduced to, uh, for the very first time, DMX. Who remembers DMX? Go ahead, confess your sin. Confess your sin. <laughs> yep, there you are. 
right? I can't remember what the name of the song was. I can't even remember the lyrics, but I remember DMX dropped. It was the only song I'd ever heard on the radio. And it was a song all about Jesus. And I was like, this dude loves Jesus. So I went out and I bought the CD and I put the CD into my car and I blasted that sucker up and I'm singing to Jesus. And then the next song, next song came on and I was like, oh, uh, this one's not about Jesus. This is about all kinds of other activities one would do in the hood. But it definitely was not about Jesus. And he would proclaim his faith in Christ and yet his life would not reflect it for it is a shallow belief in Jesus without any real faith without any real change. Then you have the thorns. Some lands on the beaten path, some lands in shallow soil, some lands amongst the weeds. And Jesus defines what it is in the passage that the weeds are. They are the distractions of the age. It's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's social media, it's the news. And if it wasn't just that, if that's not enough, Jesus doubles down and says, it's the, the, the deceitfulness of riches, material wealth, and, and, and wanting to acquire things for oneself. This would be the powerful, the wealthy, those who are consumed with the kind of car they might drive, those who are consumed with earning more money and more power and more prestige, they're not living according to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 where he says, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy. These individuals are stunted in their growth. Then the opposite can happen. I shared with the first service, one of my great pleasures is my lawn. I can't farm and I can't grow a plant to save my life. But when it comes to grass, we have a beautiful relationship. It started when Allie and I f first bought our very first house at the bottom of the economy in 2008. We got ourselves a, a, a nice little house on a short sale off a of Wiltshire Drive in Glenshire, and we inherited, because of it being a short sale, and uh, the, the sprinkler system was broken, and the grass had become completely dried out and, and burnt up, and, and I thought to myself, because got the house literally to raise our kids in and I wanted this big backyard to let my kids play in and so and so I began the work of trying to figure out how to turn the grass around I even had Pastor Wayne right who grew up on a farm come over and there's this huge section of dead grass and I said what do I do and he basically said good luck But I did my work, much like the sower in the passage. I got my hands dirty. I got one of those machines, a trucky rinse that punches holes in the, I aerated it. I fertilized it. I, I put new soil on it. And before long, those of you who know, you know, I had the friend de la prime. I was known as the house with the greatest grass in all of Glenshire. The kingdom was on display in full. I had a little riding lawnmower because there was so much grass on it. I'd throw my kids on my lap and we'd cruise around. And every season we would redo certain sections and, and man, it just, ah. Uh. And then we got a larger house and Palisades back here and it didn't have a lawn. And some of the Rupert boys jumped about 100 yards of dirt in the backyard, brought the dirt back up. Another company in town who knows us helped put some topsoil in, laid out some grass, and we have another beautiful lawn in the backyard. And, and let me tell you, it's not as large as the one in Glenshire because it was too much work, but the one we have now is still Vandela Brain. I don't even know if that's how you say it, but we're going to, if you do this, you know it's good. 
That's so good grass. It's beautiful. It, it's thick and it's luscious. And you know what, what happens when you have made your lawn really, really healthy and it's only filled with that which is good growth? You don't use Scott's fertilizer. If you're using Scott's fertilizer, let me tell you right now. Right? I'm a teacher. I'll teach you the Bible and I'll teach you how to grow grass. One of the things that happens when your grass is healthy is <laughs> dogs. Will, that's what a fence is for, bro. When a dandelion pops out, guess what happens with healthy grass? You don't need to pull it. The grass chokes it out. I mean, it's great. I walk outside and I see a dandelion and I'm like, you're dead. And I, I don't got to pull it. I don't got to yank it. I don't have to do anything. The grass itself kills it. And Jesus is saying the reverse of these individuals. If you mingle your faith with the culture and the world, your faith may be choked out by the world. That's what he's saying in that kind of soil. But then he says there's another, another kind of soil. Right, three soils, three, three destructions, three, three negative outcomes, but then there's a fourth. By God's grace, there is a fourth, and it's this good soil that produces much fruit. And as we come to this place, I think we have to ask the question, if you want your heart to be filled with good soil and you want the kingdom of God to grow and you want to see new sprouts of growth in your life, how in the world does this occur for the Christian? I've alluded to it on many occasions throughout the entire message. But I'm going to make it a little bit more emphatic by showing you through the scripture what one must do. Some of you will love the answer. Some of you will struggle with the answer. In the book of James, James makes a connection between one's heart and one's tongue. He says within your heart, what you speak only comes out because it's in your heart. Here, Mark makes another connection between the heart the soil of the heart, if you will, and the ear. Let's walk through this together real quickly. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. You will find the word, and if you were me, this is what I do when I'm sitting down and studying. I've got what's called an archival ink pen. Nerdy like that. Told you there's a nerd part of me. And I circle certain words that I see repeated over and over again, or certain words that are synonyms to help me understand what it is that Jesus is trying to teach me. Chapter 4, verse 3, the word listen. Chapter 4, verse 9, if you have ears, hear. Chapter 4, verse 12, they hear, but they don't understand. Chapter 4, verse 15, when they hear, Satan comes. Chapter 4, verse 16, hear and receive with joy. Chapter 4, verse 18, hear, but the world takes it away. Chapter 4, verse 20, hear and accept. Chapter 4, verse 23, have ear, hear. Chapter 4, verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Chapter 4, verse 33, he only spoke as they could hear. How does one grow the kingdom of God in one's own life? How does the kingdom grow? Sit down. Dare I say, shut up and listen. It's an act of faith. 
It's an act of faith to place yourself in a room such as this and expect Jesus to do something in your life. It's an act of faith to sit in your prayer closet and pray and have Jesus Christ do something in your life. It's an act of faith to be in community that God will change you into the likeness of Christ by being in that community. It's not what you do. It's positioning yourself in a place to hear the good news of what has already been done. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says it really well. How will they call upon Jesus whom they've not believed? How does a non-believer become a believer? How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17, how does faith come? It comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. This is why we do Bible studies. This is why on Sunday, most of my message has not been a story. It has been the open text before us. It has been the words of Jesus spoken to us through some commentary and proclamation. For this is the only way one's life is changed. You can get entertainment on Hulu and Netflix all you want. You don't need more entertainment. You need to place yourself in a situation where God is made magnificent and Jesus is made great, where we can see he is on high and he's the one who implants the imperishable seed in one's soul and he is the one who grows that seed in one's soul. And you and I, all we have to do is just keep throwing God's message to every corner of every place on the earth and every situation we're in that Jesus would be made magnificent and that that little, small, and significant mustard seed of faith would blossom into to a tree where all the birds would nest in its branches and in its shade. I think you have to ask as we begin to conclude in this particular message, what is this tree? Why does it provide nesting and why is there a shade? And what are these birds? Earlier the bird was likened to Satan, but what do these birds mean here and now? They're a representation of all of the nations. It's a representation of you. How do I know this? Well, the Old Testament tells me so. Ezekiel 17, 23. On the mountain, the place where Christ was crucified, the height of Israel, I will plant it. I will plant a tree that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Every bird of every sort will nest. Well, still doesn't answer the question. What are the birds? Are you sure they're the nations? Ezekiel 31, verse 6. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its bows, under its branches. All the beasts of the field gave birth. There is salvation. And under its shadow lived all the great nations. You see, my friends, we have the imperishable seed if you believe in Christ. That seed... We cast forth in faith, and that seed gives birth as God sees fit. And then as God sees fit, he grows his people of faith, as God sees fit. Now, here's my challenge as we conclude, because this seed is such an important part of the particular message that we have just been through. Would you be greedy for God's word? I mean, dive into it. Grab a hold of it. Don't let go of it. 
Be like the starving beggar in the quote behind me who has found bread and seize it with all of your might and cherish it for the life-sustaining food that it is. Do you have ears to hear? Have you placed yourself in a place of humility? Don't fight it with your intellect. Don't allow yourself to be shallow with the culture. There is, my friends, a God who loves you. And he desperately wants a relationship with you. Now, as the worship team comes up and my elders and deacons come up to serve you communion this morning, I want to share just a couple things from my heart. Are all my leaders on the... the uh, Yubicon trail trip. <laughs> it's so packed in here. We've got like, like 30 dudes on a, on a thing here. I'm surprised how packed it is still. Andrew, you get to hand out all the communion in your police uniform. Check this out. How great is this? Woo! Gavin, would you help? Will you help? I'm just, I'm just going to grab, grab some folks to, to help, help out. Yeah, Jerry, would you help out, buddy, please? Um, and you guys can go ahead and just start handing out the bread and then the juice. And I'm, I'm just going to say a couple words. Yeah, would you please help on this side? We, four people is usually pretty good. Thank you. Brian. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. There you go. Um, so uh, <clears throat> part, of, part of who I am, which is inescapable to separate myself from is I am I, I am someone who loves to teach God's word I deeply love theology and doctrine I nerd out on that stuff but I also love evangelism and this creates a really beautiful tension because in part oftentimes what happens for those who like to share their faith just hold on to the elements too by the way we'll, we'll partake together here in a few moments um, people who like to be evangelists, they don't typically like to be theologians, and theologians don't typically like to be evangelists, and, and I've never totally understood that, but that's not who God's made me to be, but it creates kind of a, t a tension. And, and one of the things that God's been reawakening me to is giving, giving our church and giving you an opportunity to make a proclamation of faith. And, and you'll see, not necessarily today, this is an introduction, you're gonna see at times my heart come out in giving you an opportunity to confess before me in a very uh, easy, non-invasive, non-awkward way to proclaim that you want to put your faith in Christ. But I have to share something for those of you who are my Bible nerds, right? Who's a Bible nerd in here? Come on, be honest. If you're a Bible nerd, it's okay. You're a Bible nerd. It's good to be a Bible nerd. Here's what happens when you have a church with Bible nerds and a church with people who just come to Jesus. The Bible nerds think that the people who just came to Jesus need to start fixing all their things in their life. And they think that everything has to get in line before they can do certain things and all of that. And there's, there's a place for accountability. God actually tells us, don't put hands on any young man soon, lest he fall into the, a pride. Don't put him in leadership soon. But when, when people come to faith, things don't just get fixed right away, do they? Again, my, my parents... Full-blown drug addicts, full-blown alcoholics, right? Full-blown. One day, my mom, who'd been strung out on drugs for 12 years, came home and said she found Jesus. 
And our life completely changed. Things radically changed. But that did not mean that all of a sudden my parents knew how to parent. But shortly after that, my stepfather came to Christ. And he was a violent man. And, and, and I just share that with you because, because they found a home at Sierra Bible Church all the way back when. And it's crazy to think here I am ministering in this church. And there were people who walked with them in graciousness and helped work through addiction and helped them work through depression and helped them work through a lot of agonizing hurt and pain. In fact, there's a particular story of my dad about to head to work. Someone had stolen a job from him. And again, my dad was violent. And he was driving out to his job to go basically beat the snot out of somebody. By God's grace, he pulled into the church for some reason that morning, went, that morning went into Pastor Wayne's office and said, hey, Pastor Wayne, I need you to pray for me. I'm about to head to work. Someone's going to prison and someone's going to the hospital and I'm not going to the hospital. And Wayne prayed for my dad that particular day let him know who Jesus was again in his life. He needed the gospel. My dad drove over to McDonald's, ended up buying the dude breakfast. The dude got breakfast instead of a knuckle sandwich. That's the grace of Jesus. And what happens when new people come to faith, the Bible describes them like, like children. They're like babies. Now, could you imagine, and I've been in many of your guys' maternity rooms for, for the gals and for the husbands, could you imagine if you had a baby at Tall Force Hospital and here I came as the pastor and I walked in and, and, and instead of embracing that child and, and helping the parents walk through all the new messiness of what it's going to be to raise that child, if I went in there and said, you know what, you better start saving for college now. <laughs> Wouldn't it be ridiculous? The same is true when someone comes to faith. And what I'm doing in this particular moment as we are about to partake in communion is, is first of all, I'm encouraging those of you who have yet to make a, a, a step of faith towards Christ, you should do so. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's just faith, I believe. And if that's you, you 100% should come to one of these pastors and leaders and say, what do I do now? No judgment. Don't have to clean up your life. Don't have to get all your ducks in order. Jesus wants a relationship with you. That's the first step of healing. The second thing I'm doing for all my Bible nerds, which I'm a part of, would you please be gracious with all the messy babies that may start popping up in our church? Don't try to fix them because they don't need fixing. Man, would you hear that again? Jesus isn't in the business of trying to fix you. He's in the business of wanting to be in a relationship with you. Fixing happens, and we don't know how. Just as the farmer doesn't know how the seed grows. It's all an act of grace. So as we partake together, let us remember what it is we're partaking of. It's a great Sunday for us as a family of faith, to participate in this act that Jesus has called us to. Because he has stated that we are to partake in this in remembrance of his death on the cross and his innocent blood shed on our behalf. It's also a way for us to picture the reality of our unity with Christ, that when we partake of this bread, it, 
It goes into our bodies, and it becomes a part of who we are. That is the work of Christ. We have a unity with him. It's also an act that we must take with some seriousness. Jesus literally teaches through the rest of the New Testament in places that, that only those who believe in faith in Christ should partake in this, lest they're judged. But for those of us who are part of the family of God, this is a way for us to show that we all believe that we need the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and we're all part of the family of God. And I can tell you, as I have said on so many weeks prior, this is such a great family to be a part of. And I'm thankful that you are part of my family in Christ. And I pray that you are too. If you have ears, would you hear? In faith, in grace, week in, week out, day in, day out. For he's the true farmer, he's the true sower, and he holds you in his hands forevermore. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your body broken on our behalf and your innocent blood shed for our sins. In Jesus' name, we partake. Amen. His body broken for us. <clears throat> it is my prayer you have a blessed week. It is my prayer that you go next door and if you have yet to find a place to serve, that you would serve your family, find somewhere to serve. We need ushers, greeters, sound techs, you name it. And it is my prayer that you would live by faith, and this week you would share that faith everywhere you can and let the seed land wherever it may. In Jesus' name, have a great weekend. Hey, friends, let's stand together, and we're going to respond in a couple songs just before we head next door and get on with our day. Indeed, our God is the Ancient of Days, the Holy One. Let's sing.